Hey everybody, this is Ed from the Whiskey Tangent Podcast here with another Whiskey Short. Joining me as always is Scott. Hey everybody. And we're going to do one of our classic quick tastes, which this time uh, comes to us as a request or uh, an offer. Yes, right? Solicitation. Solicitation. Yeah. Scott, tell the people. All right. Aaron from Robro Marketing, our buddy who sends us all the whiskey, Robro, <laughs> reached out, ironically, after we had just announced the whiskey on one of our news episodes. Yeah. And this is the Chicken Cock Island Rooster Rye Quick Taste. <laughs> whiskey short. So, you know, I have to go chicken cock, chicken cock, chicken cock rye <laughs> right out of the uh, get-go for... Uh, gecko right right out of the gecko <laughs> I don't know I don't know what lizards like, and insurance <laughs> what is happening right from the start let's get this up so <laughs> you're, like, you're like porky pig I know like, <laughs> son of a gun so yeah chicken cock rye is a really interesting history that I'm going to go through uh, most of this from their actual website so here we go in 1856, James A. Miller established a distillery in Paris, Kentucky, and began making whiskey he called Chicken Cock. Unfortunately, he died just a few years later, leaving the business to a trusted distillery clerk named George G. White. With some help from a few investing partners during the 1860s, George was eventually able to mash up to 400 bushels of grain per day and fill 9,000 barrels per year. In 1880, he changed the name of the distillery to the G.G. White Distillery and renamed the spirit to be the old J.A. Miller Chicken Cock as an homage to his former boss. Over the ensuing decade, the company's mashing capacity increased from 400 to 600 bushels of grain per day, and six rickhouses were added, capable of storing 32,000 barrels each. Wow. But of course, just as with many, many other distilleries and brands, Chicken Cock's rapid turn-of-the-20th-century ascent wouldn't last long, owing to the looming specter of... Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> prohibition. And indeed, the distillery ceased operations in 1920. Interestingly, though, Distillers Corporation Limited of Montreal, Canada, which was basically the parent company of Seagram's at the time, bought the brand and began producing chicken cock outside of the United States. Eventually, bootleggers would smuggle the whiskey back into the country, where it became a staple of speakeasies in the Northeast, particularly Harlem's famous Cotton Club. As the great Jazz Age composer Duke Ellington was quoted as saying... During the Prohibition period, you could always buy good whiskey from somebody in the Cotton Club. They used to have what they called chicken cock. It was a bottle in a can, and the can was sealed. It cost something like 10 to $14 a pint. Wow, that's a lot of money back then. Which in today's money is $140 for a pint. And you think today's oh. prices are crazy. <laughs> All right, they must be selling it at the Mount Vernon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, towards the end of Prohibition, the brand was brought back to America by national distillers, and chicken cock was thereafter made medicinally. Mm. Unfortunately, despite major advertising efforts being made in the decades after Prohibition, the brand struggled to return to its pre-Prohibition glory days, and in 1950, a distillery fire <laughs> yep, halted the production of the original chicken cock whiskey. For good. I mean, who who <laughs> gives distilleries fire insurance anymore? Like, I feel like I feel like it has to be so high, but you got to have it, I guess. However, about a decade ago, Spirits entrepreneur Madi Antila came across the chicken cock brand while doing research on the history of bourbon and decided it was worthy of a resurrection. So he began buying up bourbon, discovered a treasure trove of original packaging and promotional materials, and enlisted the help of master distiller Greg Snyder to help achieve his goal under his new company, Grain and Barrel Spirits. Today, in partnership with the Bardstown Bourbon Company, Madi and Greg produce 1,200 barrels of whiskey a year, which primarily consists of their two core expressions of bourbon and rye, but also special yearly limited editions. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have here tonight, the Island Rooster Rye. 
So this is a rum-finished rye. Uh, we're big fans of rum-finished ryes around here. The proof is 95. The mash bill is a 95.5 finishing Caribbean rum casks. Uh, this is not, however, an MGP 95.5 rye. No. This is done by the Bardstown Brimming Company. Correct. The price is uh, MSRP $200. Yes, so it's definitely... Not for the faint of wallet. Yeah, I mean, it's an elite spirit. It yeah. was created to be such. And uh, um, I don't think they make any apologies about that. No. You know, it, they're like, it's like apologizing for making Porsches. Like, well, you don't buy a Porsche, then buy a Honda <laughs> Civic. They're red. They go fast. <laughs> I feel like you're calling me out on that one. <laughs> I have a red Honda Civic. Thanks. <laughs> and he hates the color, which is why. I oh, I fucking hate the color. I'm but so dumb. He, he was too impatient to wait the 10 days to get one shipped in. So. Yeah, I really wanted the blue. But, oh so, well. so um, yeah, we have samples that they sent us that we're going to taste. Right. Right. On the nose. I mean, you can definitely oh smell gosh. the rye on the nose of this. Yeah. I mean, the rye and the oak is there. Um, I got some like a vanilla shortbread. Okay. Yeah. There's like definitely. A cakey vanilla, like not a creme brulee or something. But sure. There's sure. Going. There's definitely brown sugar on that. Oh my God. From the rum finish, it's all over it. Yeah. Because brown sugar is just sugar with molasses in it. A little citrus orange, candied orange, so to speak, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's a really nice nose. Uh, mm. Taste it. Wow. I just did. It's really good. It's very sweet. Can we agree it's a sweet rye? It is, but I get a lot, a lot of, of spice. A lot of spice. So everybody knows that we love the Angel's Envy rye, but the criticism of right. that is that it's too sweet. There's too much yeah. rum on it. It's almost a rye-finished rum than a rum-finished rye. And this one, you do not lose the rye flavor of no. their whiskey. No, but it is sweet. I actually, for me, it's almost like the finish is Grand Marnier. Oh, wow. It's so You're tasting a lot of orange on this. I really am. I'm trying to get away from it, but... Well, I, I feel should. like orange is your go-to and cherry is mine. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, At least no, recently it has no been. cherry on this. Thing. No, there's no cherry on this one. So right now, I've had a couple of big sips. I'm getting like the pepper in the back of the throat. Mm -hmm. It's all over my yeah, tongue. Yeah, there's like... Um, oaky. Yeah. It's sort of an oaky, dry, rye grain finish. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit of um, like tobacco. Yeah, they're a little notes. bit. A little bit of an earthy tone. Yeah. Mid palate, what do you think? Um, the palate itself is rye, caramel, maybe a dash of cinnamon. Mm -hmm. This is for people that are looking like, hmm, I've drank a thousand whiskeys. <laughs> you know, what's out there that's new that I haven't tried that is different or is worth treating myself for a promotion or a holiday? And I'd say this is right there, Scott. What this do you is, think? This is really good. As you leave it on your tongue and you don't have it for like a minute or two, the spiciness really just like it, yeah. it invades your whole mouth and it, it's almost like, and I compared another whiskey to this, the clove necco wafer, <laughs> that sort of <laughs> clovey, anisey, spicy, uh -huh. like slightly sweet thing. And that's what I'm getting now. Right. It's a terrific whiskey. <laughs> And it's funny. So we pre-gamed with Grain and Barrel Spirits Elvis Rye, which we had done a short on earlier. Yeah. Just because we had to drink something and we figured same company. Right. And um, once again, we realized how really nice and delicious this was for being like, what, a $45 bottle, for right. example. Right, right, right. In case you think this company only throws out lots of expensive whiskey. No, they have different levels. This is just their elite premium brand. Um, yeah, and the chicken cock, uh, their core expressions are pretty reasonable. I think they're around $40, right, maybe um, 50 We decided to treat ourselves, and well, Aaron decided to treat us, <laughs> yeah, I guess. They treated us. <laughs> but see, when you do the Elvis whiskeys, you get nice stuff down the road, so... <laughs> And the Elvis whiskeys were actually really good. Yeah. Wow. I mean, every time I sip it, I taste something different. Yeah. It's layers to it, like like a seven bean dip, you know what I mean? Like, what do they call it? Like a, <laughs> yeah. What, a seven level dip? Seven level, whatever it's called. I can't fucking remember. <laughs> God damn it. Get stutter and prick over you yeah. all day. I've been stuttering like a... Yeah. You're a little slow out. today. Get it out. Son of a bitch, son of a bitch, son of a bitch, a gun. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> Thanks. I needed that. <laughs> all right. Had to be done. <laughs>
Oh, All right, so we're going to talk to Greg right yeah. now. We're going to set yeah. up the Zoom call. Right, yes. And then we'll come back and uh, wrap it up. Absolutely. So we're going to have Greg on, Master Stiller, for Grain and Barrel Spirits. All right, be right back. Hey, Greg. How you doing, guys? Good. I'm mad at Scott. Hi, Scott. Hi, Ed. How are you guys? Doing great, man. Doing great. It's funny. We just announced your new release right before we got reached out to, because, you know, I mean, Chicken Cock is a fun name to say. I mean, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, a lot of people have fun with it. No doubt. It is, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So, Scott, just want to let him give us a background or? Yeah. I mean, first of all, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us uh, and sending us the samples that we have. Start off talking about you, your background, how you got into whiskey, number one, and how you got with Chicken Cock. Uh, first and foremost, thanks for letting me uh, be on your podcast today, guys. I always uh, look forward to these. And a little bit about me. Uh, yeah, I, I'm into my 45th year in this industry now. Wow. Uh, it all came about you know, right out of college, actually. I have a business degree from Indiana University. And in your senior year, they post in the career placement uh, interviews, different companies that are looking for new management help and so forth. And one of the interviews I had was uh, with Joseph E. Seagram. So they had a plant in Louisville, Kentucky back in the late 70s. And so I interviewed and uh, was hired as a frontline supervisor. And it was a great company to work for. If you picked up things quick and you wanted to learn and were aggressive, they gave you an opportunity. And I was kind of put on a fast track. And, and within the five years that facility was open, I virtually got to work in every department from the distillery dryer house to the barrel warehouse, filling barrels, putting barrels in ricks, taking barrels out of ricks, dumping barrels, gauging tanks, filtering, blending, processing, receiving, bottling, shipping, quality, maintenance, you name it. And so that kind of set the stage for my career. From day one, I loved it. But when they shut the facility down, I had an opportunity to relocate. And eventually I was going to end up in New York City at the corporate offices within about nine to 12 months. And living in New York City at that time was not uh, on my priority list. And so I opted for the severance package and they would pay for my education for one year. Luckily, Bellarmine University in Louisville, they have a two-year MBA program. And uh, I kind of pleaded a little bit and they felt sorry for me, I guess. So they let me uh, get my MBA in a year's time and Seagram paid for every penny of it. And shortly thereafter, went to work for Brown Foreman for a total of a little over 12 years in various capacities. I started out as their bottling manager on the afternoon shift, did that for a little over a year. Then I got a promotion, was responsible for all the dry goods, you know, the bottles, the boxes, the labels. And then after doing that for about nine months, they added to my responsibilities all the wet goods, you know, all the, the tank trucks coming from Collinwood, Canada, Holland, Canadian Mist to be bottled in Louisville, drink trucks coming up from Pepe Lopez, tequila. Um, Did you house. get the bottle any good liquor back then? <laughs> <laughs> Both terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, there was, uh, I will tell you this. Uh, I was a uh, old Forster drinker. So back then it was 86 proof and they had the bonded, you know, it was the only two offerings they had. Then later on, when uh, Brown Foreman acquired LeBron and Graham and they came out with Woodford Reserve, you know, day one, they filled that first barrel. Guess what that Woodford Reserve was? Seven and a half year old old Forester. Wow. So, yeah. 
And even today, I think they're still putting some of the, the old Forster in there to blend it out. And that's another story. I could go on off on a tangent on that. But uh, yeah, well, Woodford Reserve was my origin story. It's the first whiskey that wasn't Jack Daniels or Jim Beam that I cultivated a taste for. So Woodford always will have a special place for me. We yeah, love old Forrester. And yeah. both of them are excellent bourbons. But you know, once I did that, I got a promotion as director of operations out to the Cooperage. So people thought I was crazy leaving downtown the bottling operation to go out to the Cooperage. It's like you step back a century in time. It was hot, it was smoky, it was dirty and, and noisy. And I said, you know what? It's a part of the learning process. The barrels are an extremely important element of making the high quality whiskey. Anyhow, I managed that operation for a little over nine years. And then I left Brown Foreman and went to work as the vice president of Austin Nichols and a managing director of Wild Turkey. Did that for a little over 10 years. Uh, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky holds a special place in my heart, as, as does uh, Jimmy Russell. Uh, you know, Jimmy worked for me during that time period, and uh, there's no finer person. These are truly the last of the true master distillers that grew up with corn dust under their fingernails. But, I was going to uh, say, I mean, you were there when they started to put out some really interesting expressions. That was a very dynamic time period for wild turkey. Absolutely. was. a matter of fact, most people don't know this, but in 1998, I created Russell's Reserve. Wow. People think uh, Jimmy and Eddie did, but it was funny because Pernod Ricard owned it at the time. One of the first things they asked me, said, you know, take a look at our inventory. We think we've got too much whiskey. And so I got a um, basically an Excel spreadsheet that takes in the factor of the age of the whiskey, what the expected yield should be, different variables that you have to, to uh, figure in to see how much whiskey you've got and then match it up with the sales needs for that particular year. Anyhow, I did that and basically came back and told him, said, you know what? You don't have too much whiskey, but you got too much old whiskey. And, uh, and a flat told me, I said, you know, you got to bite the bullet, guys. Number one, you know, blend it off, not in such high percentages that it's going to change the taste profile, but you're going to have to start using it up. And you've got so much of it, it's going to take time. Number two, you can try to sell aged whiskey on the open market. But in 1998, nobody was buying aged whiskey on the open market, not like it is today. Uh, and I said, the third option is we can come out with a new bourbon brand. And they'd looked at each other. I had finance, marketing group. The CEO of the company was there. And they said, that's a great idea. Well, what would we call it? And I said, for lack of a better term, why don't we call it Russell's Reserve? And I said, it's high time this company paid tribute to one of the greatest master distillers that ever walked this earth. And that's Jimmy Russell. <laughs> and, and Jimmy didn't know anything about this. So next Monday, I was back in Lawrenceburg. And, and that morning, as I did most mornings, I'd connect with Jimmy first thing. I said, you know, Jimmy, as I recall, we got some great 10-year-old bourbon sitting up on the fourth floor B warehouse. So you mind grabbing a sample of that? And let's try that today. So yeah, no problem. So later on that day, I hear this knock on the door and, and door opens and Jimmy sticks his head in and says, you got a minute? I said, yeah, come on in. So he brings in this little snifter glass and he says, here's that the sample you wanted to try. And so I got it about a foot from my nose and the caramel and vanilla got knocked head off. I could not believe the aroma coming out of that glass. And Jimmy just grinned at me, smiled and said, nod and said, that's pretty good whiskey. And I said, yes, sir. Well, that's yeah. a great story, man. And we love <clears throat> Russell Reserves and we've never drank one that we didn't like. That Some of them are, what, the... Uh, was it the single barrel one we tried? That was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very proud of it. Very fortunate again to be in a situation uh, that I've been very blessed to work with some great people and become friends with so many as well. What was Jimmy's reaction when he found out you named it after? Uh, so, yeah. So to finish that story, basically, uh, we had kind of a little presentation in that. And, you know, you got to know Jimmy. He's such a true Kentucky gentleman, but he shed a couple of tears over. I was pretty proud about it uh, to this day. You know, God bless him. His health's not doing great right now, but he's, yeah. he's still a trooper and one hell of a gentleman. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. So how'd you get involved with uh, Chicken Cock? So from Wild Turkey, I left up and went up to Maine, actually, for three years. I worked for a company called White Rock Distilleries. And uh, when I was up there, the big brand that we had was Pinnacle Vodka. Oh, Pinnacle. 
<laughs> yeah. And so we actually created the dessert category of flavored vodka. Oh. So, uh, I was actually on the innovation team when we came up with Pinnacle Whipped. I don't know if you've ever tried Pinnacle Whipped. It's whipped cream flavored vodka. I actually have. It was so novel. I saw it at a party one time. I said, oh, I got to see what this tastes like. Yeah. It smells and tastes like whipped cream. I mean, it, it's phenomenal. But anyhow, in, in 2012, uh, Jim Beam acquired Pinnacle Vodka and a small rum brand in the plant assets. And they asked me to move back to Kentucky and head up the transition. So my wife and I moved back and took a little over a year to complete that transition. But uh, from there, I left and went to work for a company down in Bowling Green, Kentucky called Western Spirits. Bird Dog Whiskeys, Calumet Farm Bourbon, Sam Houston mm -hmm. Bourbon. Some of those. That's some of their brands. It's a privately owned company. And uh, I was VP of operations for them for about three and a half years. I was living and working in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And then on weekends, I'd drive back home. It's about a two hour drive to Southern Indiana where I live and just a little bit too far to commute every day. So it just got to be more and more difficult. So that's when I decided to ramp up my retirement plan. And that was not retired, but start my own consulting company. And so in June of 2017, I believe it was a little over five years ago, I started consulting. And Grain Barrel Spirits is one of the first companies I actually uh, picked up as a client. They needed some help with some supply chain stuff and some operational issues. And so they hired my services. And one day the founder, Marty Antela, shared his vision of wanting to resurrect the brand back to Kentucky. You know, it's an old brand originated in 1856 in Paris, Kentucky, but the story burnt down in the 1950s. And so the brand just sat idle for just about 60 years. In 2011, Madi, the founder of Grain and Barrel, he ran across the history and he was able to acquire the brand rights. And like most small companies, he needed cash flow. You know, they don't own their own distillery. They don't own any operational assets, but he needed cash flow. And so the easiest way to do that, he was able to acquire some young six-month-old whiskey. He flavored it with various flavors and he bottled it in a aluminum bottle and it served his purpose. He created cash flow, but it didn't help the quality reputation that Chicken Cock once had many years ago. And so when I started consulting for him, he asked if I could serve in the role of master distiller. And I said, you know, Marty, I'll do that on one condition. You quit buying this young crap and let's truly focus on bringing the brand back to its high quality prominence. And so uh, he agreed. And that's what I've been working on uh, for the last five years. Oh, that's awesome. Because one of my questions was between when he had the idea to restart the brand in 2011 until 2017, when you did your first limited release, there's a six-year gap there. What happened? And you just kind of answered it. Yeah, I, again, it, it's a very common business plan with small companies. You know, you got to have cash flow to get on your feet. And, you know, with this bourbon boom, wanting to get in the industry. And it's kind of one of the reasons I decided to start consulting is that they got to realize, number one, it takes a fair amount of money. Number two, you got to have patience. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you really want to have a good quality whiskey, you got to give it time. So is he transparent about, because you guys source, right? Actually, here's how it works out. One of the first things I did as master distiller, I worked out an agreement with Bardstown Bourbon Company. And so one of the things that's unique about Bardstown Bourbon, they have a collaborative distillation program where I have oversight over everything. In other words, I gave them the mash bills for a bourbon and a rye. I gave them all the work instructions, you know, as far as the time and temperatures I want to cook the grains, the enzymes I want to use all the specifications for fermentation, beer chemistry, and distillation. And then when they make our whiskey, I go down and oversee the process to make sure they're following those work instructions right. And uh, they kind of let me cherry pick to where I want to want to age my barrels in the warehouse. Oh. To take that a step further, and something unique that Chicken Cock is doing that I'm not aware of anybody else in the industry that's capable or is doing it. One of my first clients when I started my consulting was another group out in West Virginia. 
you know, in these Appalachian Mountains, we got all kinds of white oak and their trees are getting cut and they're getting shipped overseas. And, you know, we need to cut them and, and make barrels and, and keep them right here in the U.S. And so we did a market feasibility study for them that showed that by 2019, the demand for new barrels was going to exceed the available supply. And, and that happened. So I helped these guys build a stave mill. I went out and trained their employees how to cut staves and heading, how to edge them up, how to stack them so you get good airflow. And then when they got the Cooperage built, which I helped design, I went out and helped train their employees how to build barrels. And so through that relationship for Chickencock, I go out a year in advance and I personally select the logs that we're going to use to cut into staves and heading. And we're going to let them natural air dry for 10 to 12 months. And then I go back and they bring that wood in and I oversee the production of the barrels. We have a specification of a medium plus toast. And then later on in the process, I'm only going to char a number three level char, not a number four. I just created a bunch of great flavor through the toasting process. The last thing I want to do is burn it away. So, mm-hmm. so anyhow, I, I have oversight, bark to barrel to bourbon to bottle all the way through it. I don't know that anybody else that's, uh, that's doing that in the industry. It sounds like that chicken cock was lucky to have somebody with your knowledge and connections to get their whiskey off the ground. Especially just listening to you uh, talk about it. It's more than just making whiskey. It's making barrels and making bottles and getting it to people and the whole distribution and logistics of the whole process that a lot of people, drinkers, don't really pay attention to. Uh, They don't even go back to the history. So it's really striking your experience. And it is. It's a great opportunity for me to take my years of experience and knowledge and truly focus it on a brand and pay attention to the details. You know, and just to have Jimmy Russell work for you, I, I, I never pictured Jimmy Russell working for anybody. I just pictured him like sitting in like in a cabin somewhere making whiskey. I didn't ever thought that he actually had to go to meetings and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy's wonderful. So uh, I guess we should talk about the whiskey that we have. So tell us a little bit about Island Rooster. How old was the rye before it went into the rum barrels? Okay, so the, the rye is actually four years old rye. It was rye that we actually produced at Bardstown Bourbon Cup. Okay. Every year, Great and Barrel does a couple of LTOs, we call them, limited time offerings. They're very small volume. And last year, I was just chatting with Monty. I said, you know, I really like the spicy, peppery notes of our rye whiskey. I think it's fantastic. But I said, I think if we want to do an LTO by enhancing those flavors with a little bit of sweetness, I think it'd be a big hit. He agreed. And so uh, we bought 25 rum barrels and put our rye in those. And I would check it every month because I know too many companies that have probably overdone it. The last thing you want to do when you finish a whiskey in a secondary barrel, you don't want that secondary barrel to overpower the base whiskey flavor. You just want to enhance it a little bit. And so and after six months of sitting in those barrels, I said, boom, that's it. We need to dump it now. You know, we reduced the bottle proof, which is 95 proof, which I also uh, worked at creating it. Typically, I'll start at barrel proof and work my way down. For this one, I wanted to work my way up. I tried at 86 proof, didn't have enough flavor. Tried at 90 proof, not enough flavor. 92, nope. 93, nope. But 95, that's when the flavor really comes through on the profile. And, and uh, you just got to be careful you don't over dilute it. And that's what I try to do with all of our brands is hit the right sweet spots where you lower that alcohol burn just enough to allow those flavors to overtake the profile. And let's be honest, you wanted to have as many bottles as possible. So where was the sweet spot between proof, right? Yeah, you know, it, it depends on the whiskey. Everyone's different. Every barrel's going to be different. So, yeah, the rum finishing can be too sweet. And you said other companies. And I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering if you're casting a little bit of shade on Angels of Iraq. <clears throat> I'm not throwing stones at anybody, Scott. No, <laughs> sir. No, sir. But my question was, and you answered it, how did you decide where to stop and when to stop? And uh, that's just a fascinating process to me. And the fact that you went from low to high instead of high to low. That well, really again, back, back to Ed's comment, you know, the almighty dollar runs the business, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, some of the top management, they're, they're trying to get more cases 
per barrel. And I respect that. But again, if we're truly focused and dedicated to bringing this brand back to its high quality prominence, almighty dollars got to give a little bit to really reach that quality sometimes. Yeah. So one of the things what I saw uh, in some of the reviews that I read of this whiskey was the price point. Uh, they, you know, It's a little high, perhaps out of the reach of bourbon sipping consumers. You know, I, I hear both sides of that equation. And yeah. again, um, yeah, I've been in this business a long time and it, it's what the market will bury. It's not for everybody. Right. There's no question. It's not right. for everybody. We've had renditions that are far more expensive than that. But I guess your point is for the marketing guys, if you want this to be 200, it's got to be a good whiskey. What bothers us is if someone takes the chicken cock and I see it on the store for $3.99. I know you're not getting any of that money. But right. The liquor store right. is just gouging us because you can't get a bottle anywhere in New Jersey and they got one, which we see with Buffalo Trace, right? Any of the wellers up here, the foolproof, the 107, they'll be over $300. They're not worth that. You know, I've paid $75 for anti-107 three years ago. Now it's $3.99. It didn't get that much better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You should have tasted back in the 1990s. It was awesome. <laughs> mm. I was going to say, when you were at Seagram's making Secret 7, it was delicious back in the well, day. Believe the it or not, the facility in, in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, we bottled Eagle Rares, 101 proof. It was in the short bottle in the yeah, wooden box back I remember then. that. Yeah. Uh, Benchmark was such a good quality bourbon back then. It, so we had some great bourbons available. Yeah. Uh, anything else, Scott? I think Greg, yeah, it's it so just, informative. Yeah, just one, just a clarification. How long was it in the rum barrels? Uh, so it was six months. Now, I I will tell you this, first go around out of those 25 barrels, we got a little over a thousand six pack cases. And oh. that's not a lot to spread around. I think we're in 42 different states now. So yeah. some states got it, some states didn't. Yeah. However, there was so much flavor left in those rum barrels. I refilled them with some more rye. And so we have a second round that just came out, just was bottled here a couple of weeks ago, actually. Mm. Oh, wow. And it, was in the, it was in the barrels a little bit longer to get comparable sweetness, about an additional month, about seven months. And I'm telling you, I've done a little bit of traveling the last two months, uh, doing promotional market visits. And as soon as it hits, it's sold out in three or four days. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. At the $200 oh, yeah. price. It won't point. last. It won't last. Right. If you ever come to New Jersey or Philly, look us up. We'll show you a good time. I absolutely would. Back uh, at you. I mean, if you can come down this way, Louisville or the Barstow we area. Actually, let me we're know planning to take a trip this summer. We still might do it in August. Let me know. Yeah. If, if I'm in town, I'd, I'd love to kind of give you the VIP tour of the distillery and kind of let you taste some of the stuff we've got uh, aging in barrels. So love to do it. Awesome. All right. Awesome. We'll, we'll tell Aaron to text us like a, a contact number on you. All right. Okay. We'll do it. Aaron's, yep. Aaron's always very protective. It's like you guys are like A lifters. Like we can't get a hold of anybody. It's like, I have a great number. Uh, just tell me what you want. I'll tell Greg. Not, not a problem. We'll do. All right, man. Have a great rest of your day. Stay cool. All right, guys. Thank you so much. All right, Greg. Later. Wow. That was an awesome interview. I mean, wow is a great word for that. We've had so many good guests over the years, but I don't know that we've had anybody with the pedigree of Greg Snyder. He, uh, no. uh, his experience level, not just with different companies doing great work, right? but the, the, things he did. the different jobs he's held. I mean, somebody yeah. who has an A to Z level of experience in the whiskey industry. I mean, if I could talk to somebody like, you know, go out to dinner and have a night with someone, I think Greg would be a blast to hear the stories he must have. And it's uh, great that he took some time out to talk to us about his newest creation yeah absolutely uh, like he worked for seagram's brown foreman wild turkey jim beam for just a year doing the transition and then started his own consulting business not to mention in the in the interim he invented dessert vodkas <laughs> right know, right we didn't he mention created russell's reserve right i mean jimmy russell worked for him right seriously <laughs> 
like you know if you're in that industry you know him is what i'm saying like he's probably i mean if there's 25 guys in the whiskey industry in the country craig snyder's one of them yeah and i hope we can do something with him down the road because i feel like we could never run out of things to talk to greg snyder about seriously and the little tidbit he just dropped in there that woodford reserve was originally seven and a half year old forester Right. It just blew my mind. Right. I mean, he says, I could tell you so many stories. And I'm like, I don't doubt that at all, Greg. <laughs> no, not at all. So if you're looking for something different, something that's delicious, uh, if you got a whiskey buddy who you always try to top to show him the new thing, mm. there's 6,000 to 12,000 bottles of the Island Rooster Rye by uh, Chicken Cock Whiskey. Yeah, and if you like rum-finished ryes and you don't want one that the rum character is overwhelming the rye, this is the one for you. But yet, not overpowering. Like, it actually does enhance the whiskey. Mm-hmm. Doesn't overpower like some of the cheaper ones. Exactly. All right, so for the Whiskey Tangent Podcast, thanks again, Greg Snyder, for coming on. Mm-hmm. I'm Ed. I'm Scott. Cheers, everybody. Later. Later.